it's about giving ourselves permission that when we made a decision, we didn't know any differently. We made the best decision for ourselves at a at a point in time. And and it's okay for that to change over time. We can't expect things to continue the same forever. They just they just don't. Um, yeah. So it's okay to change your mind. It's okay to and I think that when you finally give yourself that permission to do so, as I mentioned before, it then gives you the momentum that you need to keep taking those steps forward because you now a weight becomes lifted off of your chest. You say, okay, great. I know what I'm doing now. I have a new direction to follow. I, I need to make this work. You are listening to Stories for the Future, Season 2. Stories about fixing our future and about big changes in career and life. Stories about being a beginner and daring not to always know the answer from the start. And stories about creating the best everyday life that we can. My name is Veselma Klavnes Berge and in this season I will be talking about connecting changes. I hope you will join me as I go out in the world and talk to people who are making positive changes for themselves, for other people and for the planet. Welcome! I think that my first guest for this season that I call Connecting Changes is a perfect start. She's a true global citizen. She has lived in four different countries, traveled to 75. She has been through a number of transitions in her career and in life. She has worked with green businesses and social entrepreneurs, and she's now helping people to make a living doing what they love. Today, she runs her own company called Step and Stone from Nairobi, Kenya, but that is definitely not how it's all started. She had a very promising career in banking with JP Morgan until she one day realized she was on the wrong track. Danielle Anderson sends out the only newsletter I read every time I get it, and she has given me so much value during the three and a half years I, I have known about her. Even though she's working with entrepreneurs and business owners, I think that even if you are neither of those, but more a normal employee, you will have a lot to take from this conversation. I think that my biggest takeaway from this is Danielle's message about how it is okay to change our minds in every aspect of life. She has done that herself a number of times. So have I, and I know how hard it can be, but also how much you can grow from it. So here it is, my talk with Danielle Anderson, speaking to me from sunny Kenya as I was coping with a Norwegian winter on a very rainy and foggy day in Tunsberg. Hello, hello, and welcome so much to Stories for the Future, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation today. Great, and I'm so happy to we got time to do this now in quite a hectic time uh, because we are recording this before Christmas. And I also do know that you have been away for some time to celebrate a pretty round number. Yeah. So first of all, although a little bit late, happy birthday. Thank you so much. Yes, I was away on the coast for eight nights um, in a few different locations celebrating my 40th birthday 
it was so magical and great to be away and to have a little bit of a break, but also just to soak in the sea air of humidity and salt and warmth. You know, it's 30 degrees there at the moment. So sorry to rub it in for those in the winter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, it's not like that where I am at the moment. I, I can, can tell imagine. you that much, yes. It's, it's a very humid. It's been raining for, I think, a month uh, constantly. So it's... Um, it's not a very nice Christmas weather, Aww. to be honest. Well, if it makes you feel any better, it was our rainy season until I went to the coast. So it rained for the entire month before that, but still kind of okay. warm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it sounds great. Uh, I, I tried to figure out when I first got in touch with you, and that was actually three and a half years ago. Yeah. Uh, I had just started my own little one-woman company and was at that time uh, trying to figure out my business model. And then I found you and the work that you do. So first of all, I think that we need to like place you on the map, both <laughs> geographically and related to what you do. So could you please maybe just share uh, a, little about, a little bit about yourself and where you are first of all you have talked about the coast so yeah (laughs) yes so that's such a great question and and it's funny when you said three and a half years ago so I'll, I'll kind of go backwards in time but right now I'm based in Nairobi Kenya I've been living here since 2017 full time um when you say three and a half years ago I think that's when I was in the middle of my huge transition between leaving my home of 11 years in London and settling here in Kenya. So at the time, I think Mm -hmm. I may have even been in Jamaica, um, spending winter in the tropics. That's very possible. Um, I remember that actually. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's a a story for for later maybe. Um, So then I was in Jamaica, but I spent, like I said, I spent 11 years in London. And prior to that, I grew up in the U.S. in Boston, um, so I'm, I'm kind of a global citizen, but home is now Nairobi. I've been here, like I said, for a few years. And when the pandemic started, this is the first place I wanted to make sure that I was, I, I rushed back from Europe to come home to Kenya rather than being stuck somewhere. So I think this is, this is home for, for the foreseeable future. Oh, sounds, sounds amazing. We will have to talk more about Kenya mm. a little bit later. Uh, but like your your educational background that is within management and organizational behavior mm-hmm. um, and from there you have quite an interesting career career path <laughs> uh, where did you go after university and why so, and, and just take us uh, through that path through that journey perhaps. okay so yeah. as you say i have a, a a degree in management and organizational behavior which in which in layman's terms basically means like business management how to how to run a business how to operate um, how to manage people and how to also set strategy so my brain always kind of functioned in that very strategic and logical way so that sort of study just made sense to me However, Mm. I was expecting that when I finished university, I was going to end up in management consultancy. That's what I kind of had a passion for. But while I was in university, September 11th happened and my desire Mm. to travel became like zero. You know, I was so scared to to even think about getting on a plane. And and as a consultant, that's what you do all the time. And especially in the US, you, you travel around to different cities and you're often away for long stretches at a time. 
So I didn't want to travel, which is so ironic now because, you know, my life is now on the other side mm. of the world. But at the time I didn't want to mm. travel. And, and so I started to look at different options and because of where I went to university, which was in the middle of New York city at NYU, um, most of the big corporates came to us looking for graduates. And I ended up doing an internship in my penultimate summer um, with Goldman Sachs, one of the big investment banks in, well, globally. <laughs> and mm-hmm. prior to that, like I never even thought that I could do banking. You know, I was never, you know, into finance. That's not what I studied in school. Although maths was always kind of something that came quite easily to me. It wasn't what I was passionate in. Um, Mm. but when I did that internship, I was doing a client relationship management role. And that was the first time that I realized like, oh, there's actually roles for non-finance people within, within the banking industry. You know, you don't have to just be a maths person. You can be intelligent in other ways too. Um, yeah. So with that in mind, when I was then in my final year of university and I was doing, um, interviews for placement post-grad, um, you know, banking was just something that I then considered very deeply because, you know, I, I knew that there were other roles that were avail- available. So long story short, I ended up when I finished university going into a graduate program with JP Morgan. And I then spent the next eight years of my life working for them in several different cities around the world. Um, New York, Chicago, eventually I moved with them to London in 2005. And from there, I also did like, you know, little trips to Hong Kong and New York and all over the place, really. So I worked for them for a very long time. And they were very instrumental in my, not just my career, but also the skills that I then developed during, you know, just during those eight years in in business, um, which has helped me to then start my my next career, which I guess we'll talk about in a few minutes. But so Mm. I was with JP Morgan for eight years. I then did another, um, um, uh, contract with HSBC for about a year and a half after that. And in 2012, I decided that I was done with the industry. Like I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't take it anymore. Like as much as I enjoyed the work that I did in that space, because it was very much around strategy and business development and business management. And those things that I said, they come very naturally to me. And they're also things that really excite me about business. Um, you know, how do you take different pieces and put them together and turn them into something that works? You know, that's something that uh, intrigues me and, and my brain works in that function. So, you know, I was very grateful for the time that I was there and doing that work. But at the same time, I really... I really hated the corporate ladder. <laughs> you know, I the the more the more senior that I got in my career within banking, the more I disliked it. Um because there was more bureaucracy, there was more bullshit, there was more uh, just like, you know, stress and expectations with less reward. Um you know, it was just um it just started to kind of eat away at me and I think you know, now looking back, having been out of that industry for almost as long as I was in it, um, I think that I just didn't know any better at the time. Like I didn't realize that I could make a living doing something else. You know, I think that I just followed that path that people expect us to be on, which is university, go and get a good job and do that job really well and climb that ladder and, and then, you know, hope that you never get to that one day, like, oh my God, I don't want to do this anymore. But 
throughout my 30s, I just kept seeing so many people go through that moment of, oh my God, I don't want to do this anymore <laughs> and, um, and decide to do something different. So, so I left the industry in 2012, um, literally without a plan. I didn't know what I wanted to do instead. I didn't know anything other than what I had been doing, which was in corporate. Um, and it took me some time to kind of figure out what it was that I, that I loved. Um, but the great thing was that I had um, I had the time to figure it out. So, you know, I left my career in October, 2012. It wasn't until maybe April of 2013 that I finally decided, okay, this is what I, I want to try to make work, which we, I guess we'll talk about soon. Um, or later, <laughs> it doesn't have to be linear. Um, and, and then started my coaching and consultancy practice first in London, and then eventually moving that to Nairobi. So, um, yeah, I have a very, a very varied career path, but I've been running my own business now for seven and a half years, which like I said, is almost as long as I was working in corporate. Um, and it's interesting yeah. to see like, you know, half of my, my career path being one way and now half of it being so far, half of it being a completely different way. Yeah. It was, uh, one of my questions was, uh, did you plan, uh, <laughs> before? Or you left, but you answer that one. You didn't have actually a plan, but well, you had some time. Yeah, I didn't have a plan. So what happened is when I was working as a contractor, every every three months my contract was up for renewal. So I had made a decision in August of 2012 that when my contract was up for renewal in November, that I wouldn't renew it. And that I would just give myself time to then, you know, just take some time out because I'd been working solidly for almost 10 years at that point. So I just wanted to yeah. take a little bit of a break and not really thinking that it was not really knowing what that was going to look like. Um, and so that was my kind of decision in August of that year that in November I would, I wouldn't renew. So I thought that I still had a little bit of time to figure that out. Um, but what ended up happening was the first Monday in October, <laughs> I went into mm -hmm. the office and I used to have to be in the office at like 7.30 in the morning. And we often had meetings on a Monday. Our first meeting was at 8 a.m. So yeah. I go into this meeting at 8 a.m. on a Monday morning and within five minutes, some idiot, a few, a few seats down for me, just really, really pissed me off by saying something just stupid. And, um, and, and I just like, I was like, that's it in my head. I'm like, that's it. Like, <laughs> I, I can't do this anymore. And so that afternoon on this Monday in October, the first Monday in October, I, I said to my, my, my manager, I was like, I need to talk to you. <laughs> and he's, <laughs> you know, it's the end of the day. And he's like, what's up? And I was like, I just want you to know that I'm, I'm resigning. And, um, and he was like, wait a second, what? And I was like, yeah, um, I can't do this anymore. And so because I was a contractor, based on the terms of my contract, I only had five days notice. So that meant by Friday afternoon, I, I was done. I had no, I had no job anymore. <laughs> um, but like I said, I still, I, the, I still had time to figure it out. And in the beginning, I actually didn't know if I was going to leave the industry completely. I thought maybe I just wanted a little bit of a break and something different would come up and that might be of interest to me. It wasn't until, you know, six months later that I finally stumbled upon what I do now and have been doing it ever since. Yeah, and then we we have to get into what you do to now, uh, do today. Yeah. Uh, so today you run Step and Stone, where you help yes. business owners make money doing what they love. Uh, and yes. on top of your webpage, you have these three elements: make a living, 
do what you love, stand by your values. And that sounds so good to me. Uh, and how how is it that you help people live by these three principles or in, in their business at least? Yes. Okay. Great question. Um, so my, my service to the world is to help business owners get focused, get confident and get customers so that they can make a living doing what they love. Because I know how fulfilling it is to now be able to do what I love every single day and to, and to make a living from it. You know, I, I work with business owners. I genuinely want to work with, um, so many of my clients have become friends of mine. You know, that just shows how invested I am into the relationship of the people that I'm working with. I get to live in, you know, a beautiful city in the middle of the tropics and, have a location independent business that in theory I can do from anywhere. Um, I have clients all over the place. So, you know, just me being able to do what I love every single day and to know how liberating and freeing that is. I really want to help as many people as possible have that same experience for themselves because I know how much more fulfilling it is to live like this, as opposed to living behind a desk in a big corporate office every day and, and, you know, just hating Monday mm -hmm. through Friday, you know, living for the weekend. Yeah. I, that's not something yes, that I think that exactly. life is too short for that, you know? Um, yeah. So the, the three statements like make a living, because if you can't make a living from the work that you're doing, then you won't be able to do it for very long. You know, you, we have to be mm -hmm. able to pay the bills. We have to be able to support our lifestyle, whatever that means to us. You know, if you don't want to be a millionaire, then don't be a millionaire. If you want to be a, mil a millionaire, then great, be a millionaire. But, you know, whatever your definition mm -hmm. of success is, you need to be able to make a living that supports that, right? Um, doing what you love, because as I said, it's so much more fulfilling to do what you love every day than to do something that you hate every day. Um, mm. and then standing by your values is meant to incorporate everything else that's important to you. So when I first started my business in 2013, I was actually very focused on social entrepreneurs and on green, what I would call green businesses. So like eco, mm. uh, businesses, um, And so they would have, you know, social values or environmental values that were at the core of what their business model was about. Um, and over the years I've started to not necessarily move away from those businesses. Um, here in Kenya, they don't really classify them in the same way. So, you know, any business could in theory be okay. a social business because they're providing employment to local people. Um, who yeah. need it, right. So, so, um, So what I found over the years is that there's so many other values that are important to us in addition to social, environmental, justice, et cetera. Things like, mm -hmm. um, you know, our families or our self-care or our ability to take a break from time to time and to have the things that we want, um, to um, not maybe work five days a week, nine to five every day, whatever, whatever else mm -hmm. is important to you. So that's what I mean by standing by your values. And what I do in the work that I, and the work that I do with business owners, we really have that at the core of what they're, what they're building, because you need to know what's important to you before you can create that business around you to support that. Mm. Um, so, yes. yeah. So that's what those three, those three key parameters are for, for my, for my business. Yeah. I, I know for myself, it took some time to, uh, when I was at that uh, 
crossroad when I had the the option or the choice between clinging to what I knew and choosing mm-hmm. something else. Uh, it took some time to figure out yeah my values and and what I really liked to and what I was good at, like the mm-hmm. the combination of those. So for you, is this is this something that is constantly evolving? Is it work in progress? Mm-hmm. Do you think? I mean, I think that, uh, I think that, I think it's a bit of both. (laughs) I think that as we Mm -hmm. become more comfortable and confident in who we are as people, our values become clearer to us. However, if we look back over time and we're honest with ourselves, those values were probably always there and maybe we just didn't let them out or uncover them, right? So, Mm -hmm. So for example, one of my big values is freedom you know, and, and I didn't realize it so much when I was working in a nine to five, I didn't realize that that was what I was craving so much. And I didn't realize how much not having that feeling of freedom was like stifling me in so many other ways. Right. But if I, but, but then realizing that that's such a core value of mine and looking back over the past 40 years of my life, that's actually been a value the entire time, but, you know, trying mm-hmm. to conform to what other people expect of us or following the path that's expected of us, um, trying to keep up with the Joneses or to make a certain salary or whatever mm-hmm. that looks like, um, you know, it, it causes us to kind of suppress our values sometimes. So I think mm-hmm. it's a bit of both. I think they do evolve because some sometimes what we, so let me give a different example. Um, in 2010, my, my, my former husband was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 29. Mm-hmm. And although it wasn't terminal at the time, it would eventually take his life at a younger age. Um, and so mm-hmm. at 29 years old, when you're working in a career that's requiring you to be there like at a minimum 10 hours a day, and yeah, you're earning great money, but at what expense, Right. Um, to then have a 29 year old get diagnosed with a terminal illness. Right. So it, I think your values can change when those life moments happen and you only, it's only when you go through those life moments that you realize that some things are more important that you didn't really recognize before. Mm, Of course. Yes. Yes. I agree. Um, There was this uh, there was this poll uh, conducted by the company Gallup last year that uncovered that uh, worldwide only about fifteen percent of people are engaged at work, and that means mm. that eighty five percent are unhappy or at least not very enthusiastic uh, about what they do, mm-hmm. and that I think it's quite shocking. Um, and even though you you work mainly with entrepreneurs, people that have started their own company, but I wonder if not a lot of the things that you talk about and recommend also could be very useful for people having like normal, so to speak, jobs. Um, <laughs> how do you think that we could use some of the same mindsets in all kinds of work to make our jobs more engaging? I think that, and I didn't really do this very well when I was working in a corporate setting, but I think that what is really useful to keep you motivated and to keep you engaged in the work that you're doing is to have some sort of strategy. 
and to have goals that you set for mm-hmm. yourself so that you're working towards something. Um, and then that way, when you, when you see yourself making progress towards them, then that in itself is a motivating factor. I think the challenge that we face, particularly in a corporate setting, is often those goals aren't at all related to what we desire, but they're just dictated to us by whoever is our boss or the team or the, or the business mm-hmm. itself, right? And so I think that what has to happen in those types of employment scenarios is that there is more dialogue between the employer and the employee about what both sides want to get, you know, so the employer becomes much more um, uh, clear about these are our goals and this is why they're important. And this is the role that you play in them. And this Mm -hmm. is why your role is important to achieving those goals so that the employee themselves then feel some sort of, you know, like, buy into these things too. They, they recognize that mm-hmm. they're important in, in, in achieving this. Right. But I think in addition to that, the employer then has to look at the employee employee and say, okay, so what are your, what are your goals this year? Like, what are some things that you would like to achieve? And it shouldn't just be about like, oh, reducing operational inefficiencies or increasing the speed of reporting <laughs> or, or, you know, ticking the boxes faster. You know, it should be like, okay, well, I want to have some sort of time on a Thursday afternoon to go and learn about this department, like to upskill or something, or maybe what you want to learn is outside of the organization. And that employers are then giving you more time to pursue other interests, because I think that that's what's missing, you know, that that your job is seen as the only thing that's important to you. And it's not, there's other things that are important to you. So how do you make sure that you're getting time for those as well? And I'm really hoping that this year of, uh, of the pandemic has, has changed the dynamic within, within the workplace to maybe allow for more time for people to pursue some of their personal goals. And they might be personal professional goals, um, but still personal, or maybe even just say, Hey, here's some time to go and think rather than just having to sit at your desk all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at least we have some work to do there. Yeah, definitely. And then I think the other thing that I really work with um, with entrepreneurs on, which is which is useful for anybody, is just how you then prioritize your week. So um, mm. one thing that I really recommend to, to business owners is to not accept that other people dictate their schedule so much. So I remember when I worked in banking, I would literally sit in meetings all day all day. Like maybe I would have like two seconds to pop into the loo before I had to run into the next meeting, you know, and I'd eat at my desk and there was that, that was it. And there's no time to actually get work done. Right. And so since becoming my own boss, um, and especially over the past couple of years, I now will only as much as possible, I'll only take meetings on two days a week on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, Mm. client meetings. And then on Thursdays, I might Mm. reserve that as like a buffer just in case, but I don't take meetings anymore on Friday, on Mondays. And I really very, very rarely will take a meeting on a Friday. And that's just, and it's Mm. not just so that I have a long weekend. It's actually so that I, I protect my time to get work done so that I can focus on the things that are going to get me closer to achieving my goals. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we talked, or you talked a little bit about uh, your uh, engagement with g- green businesses uh, at the start mm-hmm. there. And I actually, yesterday, I figured out that you are working or you have, um, what do you call it, an engagement as a business coach for 
climate kick. And yes. that is something that is very interesting for me personally, but I think also for some of my listeners. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about climate kick and what what you do there? What you do sure. as a business coach in that sure. sense? Sure. So I... When I first started my business in 2013, I was actually focused solely on social entrepreneurs. And it's only because of my engagement with Climate Kick, which be- which began the following year, that I then started to even come into contact with lots of what I refer to as green businesses. Um, so mm. Climate Kick is an let me i'm not a i'm not a representative so i might i might not say this completely mm. correctly but from from what my understanding is climate kick is a public private partnership which is focused on um education and entrepreneurship on climate mitigation and adaptation strategies so what that means in layman's terms is like trying to promote businesses that are going to help to mitigate the effects of climate change or reduce the effects of climate change um and and things like that. Uh, they have so many mm. different programs um, available to students and to entrepreneurs. Um, some of them I've been fortunate to have been participated in over the years, which I'll talk about in a second. But to see what's available currently, I recommend just going to their website, um, which is climate-kick.org, I think. Um, yeah, so, I will link link to it. Yeah. Yeah. So over the years, the first engagement that I had with them and the one that I've had the most um, the most uh, times, which has been, I think, six times in total over the past seven years, is in a summer school program that they call The Journey. And The Journey has taken several different forms over the years that I've done it. But in, in, in short, what it is, um, it's hard because it's actually changed recently. So what it used to be was a, a five-week program where you learn about entrepreneurship but in a, in a climate-related context. So people that are wanting to start businesses who are currently students, most of them are master's or PhD students, and they go on this journey and they learn about entrepreneurship and they learn that they can apply their scientific knowledge in a different way in, in things like business mm-hmm. where they can use their... Um, whether it's research knowledge or or applicable knowledge, they can use their scientific knowledge to help businesses who are going to adapt and mitigate to climate change. So it was an entrepreneurship program that lasted for three to five weeks, depending on which one that you went into. And as a business coach, I would support these teams that would form and come up with ideas and you know, designing their business model and ultimately pitching at the end of it, not for investment, mm-hmm. but, you know, more just for practice. It was still an educational yeah. exercise. Um, so from there, the participants in the journey could go on to something called the Greenhouse, which was a pre-incubation program. Um, and this allowed them to have business coaching and a small access to funding so that they could test out an idea and see if it had any, you know, if it had any, any legs to stand on. So, um, you know, maybe mm-hmm. what you create in the journey has something that could be a business, like a viable business, but they need a little bit of support to figure that out. So that was the greenhouse. So I became involved in the greenhouse um, right after my first year of doing the journey. I then was involved in the London Accelerator Um but when I left the UK in 2016, there were also a lot of changes that took place within Climate Kick. So I stopped working within the, uh, the London-based activities. Um, but I continued mm. with, the, with the journey and it's taken different forms, as I said. So it's no longer a business pitching 
uh, program or a business pitching competition. But instead, at the end of the journey, they bring together all of these different students and they have a community summit where they talk about the ideas that they generated and, and the, the work that they did. It has much more of a systems um, approach rather than just a business topic. So looking at the entire system and, and what changes could take place in the system to reach a particular outcome. Um, so, so yeah, that's been my involvement with them. It's been every time I've done it, it's been such an amazing experience to see these, you know, bright eyed, young, energetic students that just give me so much life because they're like, they make me feel like the world will be okay. (laughs) Um, so, so yeah, that's been my, that's been my experience. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's such a nice process to also watch them transform. They, they not only learn so much, but they become such a tight group. It's, you know, it's about 40, 40 students in each group. Um, and they build such a tight community and they go through this amazing journey together, um, learning and growing and, and working together and traveling around different parts of Europe. Although this year they made it an mm. online experience. So um, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, so that's been my my work with Climate Kick. So that's how I became involved with green businesses, um, and then you yeah, know added those yeah. into the the values that I think are important. Mm, mm. Uh, hopefully, soon we will only have to talk about businesses because every business is a green business. <laughs> that's that's my goal. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, We're working towards we, that. We have definitely. to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have, or I have uh, in this podcast, talked a lot about changes, uh, changes mm-hmm. or transitions in career or in life in general. And you have made some rather big transitions yourself, <laughs> starting your own yes. company and and maybe uh, more than that, moving first to the UK and then to Kenya. Mm-hmm. And what have mm-hmm. you learned from this? And what has been maybe the hardest part if if there is a hard part i guess there is <laughs> i mean there's always let me start with the the hard part i think because the hard part is what people hold back due to right so the hard part about change is that it's change it's different and it's sometimes scary because we don't know what's going to happen when a change takes place um and so that's the hard part because One, you have to, okay, let me take a step back. So when you're in your comfort zone, you kind of know what to expect. You know that even though you hate the position that you're in, like every day you kind of have an idea that it's going to be the same shitty situation and you know how you're going to get through it, right? And whether that's an employment or a relationship or in a city that you live in, it's, you know, you, you know that you feel discomfort, but it's more it's easier to stay in that place of discomfort than to face the unknown. And the reason for that is a few. One is yes. because we have to let go of that older version of ourselves that is required for us to step into this new version of ourselves, right? And we change as people. Like I know that myself now at 40 years old, I am a different woman than I was at 30. And my 30-year-old self was definitely different than my 20-year-old self. And I, I for sure hope that my 50-year-old self is, is different to my, my current 40-year-old self. You know, like we do change mm-hmm. as people. So we just have to be okay with the idea of letting go of parts of ourselves that are no longer serving us. But that's hard because we hold on a lot of history to ourselves and we hold on history to the mm-hmm. situations that we're in. And it's hard to kind of let go of history, right? 
So that's the first mm. thing is like, you have to be able to let go. And you, it's also a grieving process of what you thought could have been in that situation. Right. So if I think about my yeah. career within banking, like I could have been in a corner office and I could have been making X number of pounds and I could have been managing all of these people. And I saw myself in all of those positions. Right. So in order to, to move out of that, you have to grieve the fact that that's not going to happen anymore. Just like when you end a relationship and you have to let go of the fact that you could have been a, a parent or you could have grown old together or you could have been um, you know, holding hands at 80. Like you, you project this yeah. vision of the future and you hold so tightly onto this perceive, like this, like this perception that you've made of the future that you're unwilling to kind of let go of that. So you have to be able to let go of that too. And that's a grief process. Um, so it will come with the stages, the regular stages of grief. So that's the hard part, right? That's the hard part. And then the other hard part is just making that decision and saying, okay, this is the decision. And, and just saying once and for all that that's, the decision that you're going to make. Um, I think what has always made it easier for me and is, is, is finally making that decision, right? Because once you, once I've made that decision and I've said to myself, okay, it's okay to change your mind. It's okay to do something different. It's okay to take this leap of faith. It's okay to be scared. Like once I've made that decision, I then find that I have so much more courage and momentum to just keep taking those steps forward to get me to where it is that I want to be. But the longer that you stay in limbo, wondering what's going to happen, like the longer you're just going to be stressing over what's going to happen. It's so much better just to start and to figure out what happens and to work it out along the way. We never know what's going to happen. So don't stay stuck in that fear of what could happen. So for me, I think that it's also part of my character. Like I've always, I've always been told my entire life, I've been told, oh my God, you're so brave. You're so brave. You're so brave. And I, I've never felt of myself as being brave. I've always felt of myself of just like doing the next thing that's right for me. And, you know, to some people, it seems like I'm making decisions very quickly or very hastily or without really putting much thought into it. But the truth is, is that I may not know exactly what's going to happen next, but it's usually a longer deliberation behind the scenes, like a year of being mm. unhappy in a situation or two years of being unhappy in a situation before finally saying, okay, enough is enough. And let me just, I have to do something different. Mm. And getting to that point is no fun. It's better to recognize it earlier <laughs> than to have to have that yeah. life altering moment where you're like, okay, enough is enough. And, and, but most of the time it takes for us to get to that enough is enough before we propel ourselves into action. Uh, so related to the the, the traveling part, uh, one of the reasons mm -hmm. that I'm now uh, doing the podcast in English, although it's a bit more uncomfortable for me, like <laughs> it's not my mother tongue, mm -hmm. uh, I find it so important to like learn from each other globally and talk to different different people from different uh, regions uh, and i i find so much value in it myself so i want to like make that available for all as many other people as possible as well uh, so what are some of the experience you, uh, experiences you have made from living in such different uh, countries as us uk and now Kenya. Oh my goodness, so many. So in it, so I've lived I've lived in four different countries. I also lived in Jamaica for a little while. 
But it, on top of that, yeah. I traveled to, to 71 other countries. So in total, I've been to 75 countries in my life. Wow. Um, oh. My experiences are, are incredibly vast. Like when I was working in finance, the only thing that I spent my money on was traveling. <laughs> and I made it a point when I, so when I first moved to the UK, I loved the fact that um, travel was so inexpensive and easy to do within within Europe. Um, I'd never experienced mm -hmm. that before. In the US, cheap airlines weren't available yet when I was there. And also I was a student, so I didn't really have disposable income mm -hmm. to be traveling around the country, except if I wanted to do it by coach, which, which anyone who's lived in the US knows that like Greyhound buses are they're 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 depressing. They're very depressing. Um, it's a very it's a very sad way to travel, but it's necessary. I did it my entire university time, so no no shame on Greyhound. But um, but I didn't really have the ease of travel to different places. And also, like when you travel in the U.S., like you're just going to a different part of the U.S. Like, sure, the culture is slightly different, but you're still in America. So when mm -hmm. I first moved to London, I loved the fact that I could just go anywhere. And be in a different country where people are speaking a different language and their culture is different and their cuisine is different. And I just, I was so fascinated by it. So I, my wanderlust at that point really just exploded. <laughs> and um, I made it, I made a decision that every single time that I had the opportunity to travel, I would go somewhere that I'd never been before. And mm -hmm. that was both for like short weekend trips and it was also for, longer holidays that I would take during the course of the year. So I think I had like 28 days holiday when I was working in finance and we had to take a mandatory two weeks consecutively by like accordance to the, the regulators. So I always mm. would do like a long haul trip during those two weeks. And then maybe I would do something a little bit shorter hauled for the other ones. But in any case, like I was using those 28 days to the maximum <laughs> and just really experiencing mm. as much as I could and taking advantage of the fact that London was so well connected to everywhere in the world and that flights were so inexpensive. And, you know, my, my carbon footprint when I was flying everywhere was definitely very, very high. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I've had so many amazing experiences from, you know, from Asia, from South America, from, from Europe, from the U S like it's hard to kind of boil them down into, into just one or two. But I think that the biggest thing for me is just being able to connect with different people from all over the world and to build relationships with people mm -hmm. and to know that like, if I were to travel pretty much anywhere, like I could find someone that I could go and have a coffee with. And you know, I, yeah. when I started my business, my travel then also became very much linked to learning about stories of entrepreneurs in different places that I was visiting. So, you know, I, I spent time in India with some entrepreneurs and I, and I still have conversations with them to this day, like five years later. So I've just really enjoyed being able to combine my work with my, with my, with my wanderlust. Um, mm. That said, I've really loved this year where I haven't been able to go anywhere. <laughs> I really, yeah. at the start of this year, I, I, I realized like how exhausting it was. I was on the road so much for my business, especially when I moved to Kenya, I was doing business, not, a, not just in Nairobi, but, um, in Mombasa, which is a town, um, sorry, it's a city that's on the coast of Kenya, which is about an hour's flight. 
and doing business mm-hmm. in Kampala, which is also about an hour's flight. So just traveling within the region and then, you know, still going back to the States and visiting family in Europe to visit my, you know, extended family in the UK. So I just, I, I mm-hmm. love now being able to be at home, but, uh, but I do, I miss, um, I miss those connections. I miss, um, I miss hearing stories from different places. I miss, um, seeing different places, experiencing different cultures and, yeah, just taking in all of the different mm-hmm. sights and sounds and smells that exist in all of these different places in the world. Um, that's one of the things mm-hmm. I've really loved about my experiences everywhere is just, you know, we're, we're all the same. We're just in different places yes. and y- yes. you can, you can choose to call anywhere home. It's, it's all a personal choice. Um, you know, when people say to me, where are you from? I find that question very difficult because it's like, what do you mean? Do you mean where I was <laughs> yeah. born? Because I don't really feel American. Um, I spent mm-hmm. 11 years in London. I also have British citizenship. Like, am I, am I from there? No, I don't really feel British, you mm-hmm. know? So I feel like I'm, I'm not, I'm obviously not from Kenya, but this is where home is. So I think that that's one thing that travel has really taught me is that, you know, we have so many different ways to look at life and to experience life in different cultures and different climates and different scenes like settings and being able to experience as many of them as I have has been just such a blessing um, because it really helps me to challenge my perceptions to question um, my beliefs my values the things that we've spoken about so far in this conversation has very much come from being able to travel as much as I have mm, yeah uh, I think this is a very good way into my next question uh, because I I get your newsletters uh, and I would say mm-hmm. that yours is one that I almost always read. Uh, I get yeah. a lot of them and I'm really bad at uh, like uh, I get a lot of different newsletters and I'm really bad at canceling them. So <laughs> most of them I just like delete delete but yours I always read and the last one I got was it was about a topic I feel very strongly about um the title I think what was it is okay to change your mind and I Mm -hmm. think this is highly underestimated and overlooked both in uh the opinions that we have about different issues but also related to our own lives uh, so could mm-hmm. you please share what you wanted people to get from this message? Yeah, so the the message came from two two different places. So first, when I was away for my 40th birthday about a week and a half ago, one of my girlfriends asked me, what message would you give to your 30-year-old self if you could go back and tell her something? Um, mm-hmm. And at the time, I had said, you know, you're going to have a really – unexpected path over the next 10 years. And there's going to be some moments that really try your, your, the core of your being, you know, that really shake you to your core. And there were, there were so many things that happened in my thirties, you know, from, from leaving my career to leaving my relationship, to leaving my country that I was living in for so long to, you know, losing my father to almost losing my own life. There's, there's been so many things that really, uh, I mean, 
could have, I don't know, sometimes I wonder how I made it through it all. But, you know, like, I would have told her, like, you're going to go through all of that stuff, but you're going to be okay. And when you come out through the other end, you're going to be so much stronger in who you are as a person and what you stand for and what's important to you. Um, So just trust the process. So that was my message to her at the time. But what I realized then in a conversation I was having with a client yesterday, who's considering closing down one of her businesses, is that it's also okay to change your mind. Because all of those big Mm. moments that I mentioned a few moments ago during my 30s were a result of me changing my mind. You know, I changed my mind about my career. And And that was okay. I didn't have to keep doing that for the rest of my life. And I was able to find something different that fulfills me even more. I changed my mind about my relationship. And even though it was incredibly difficult for us to go through that process of ending our relationship, it was, it was definitely the right decision to make for so many reasons. Um, You know, it's my life wouldn't be what it is now if I were still in London and that was a result of changing our mind. And, you know, it's not that he and I had a bad relationship. It's just that he and I grew apart in many ways. And I think that part of that was because we got into the relationship without either of us really knowing who we were as individuals. Um, I hadn't yet gone through that understanding of what some of my big values were. I hadn't yet kind of liberated myself from what other people were expecting of me. And when I went through that transformation, um, we didn't really see the same anymore. You know, uh, we wanted different things out of life and, and it was important for us to go in those different directions. Um, and that was okay. You know, it was hard. It was sad. It was painful. It was that grief process of letting go of the future that you think that you have with a person, but it was still, it was okay to change our minds, right? Um, leaving London and, and choosing to come to Kenya and, and changing my mind about um, my my location, my livelihood, and this, you know, my business in many ways, because I was re- then restarting my business in a new country, has also given me, you know, a, a life that I never, in many ways, never dreamed of. Like, this is the first time in my life that I've truly felt at home somewhere where, like I mentioned earlier, at the start of the pandemic, I was in London and I was meant to travel to the US and I changed my travel to come back to Kenya. This was the only place that I wanted to be stuck when the world was locking down and it's because I truly feel at home here. And had I not made the decision to change my mind about where I was living, I wouldn't have this feeling that I have now, this, you know, this, this, these roots that I've grown in a business that has, um, you know, made, made more revenue this year than it did in the two years prior, even though we're in a pandemic. So I'm, I'm finally in a place where I feel like things are working and they're going in the right direction. And, th- and I'm stepping into this next decade, decade as, as someone who's very strong, but that was only as a result of changing my mind, you know? And, and yes. so I think that it's, um, it's about giving ourselves permission that, when we made a decision, we didn't know any differently. We made the best decision for ourselves at a, at a point in time. And, and it's okay for that to change over time. We can't expect things to continue the same forever. They just, they just don't. Um, Mm. yeah. So it's okay to change your mind. It's okay to, and I think that when you finally give yourself that permission to do so, as I mentioned before, it then gives you, the momentum that you need to keep taking those steps forward because you now a weight becomes lifted off of your chest. You say, 
okay, great. I know what I'm doing now. I have a new direction to mm. follow. I, I need to make this work. Very good. Uh, we are about to enter 2021. Um, yeah. Or when this airs, it will already be 2021. <laughs> what uh, are your plans for this next year? It may be, or we don't know, but hopefully it will be a little bit dif- different than 2020 uh, in some mm. in some areas at least. Um, and I know also that I have quite a lot of entrepreneurial people listening to this podcast. So maybe you have something to share that could be uh, of interest to them about what you're working yes. on. Great. And it also follows on great from your previous question about changing your mind, because one of the big things that yeah. I did over the course of 2020 was change my mind about a lot of things that I was doing in my business. So what I realized was that I was offering too many services. My messaging was getting to be too salesy all the time because I was always offering something new. I was running two businesses. So my time was all over the place. My focus was all over the place. And the big decision that I made in 2020 was to simplify my business by, um, by streamlining what my offerings are. So I just on my birthday, 10 days ago, I announced that I have a brand new offering, which is replacing everything else that I currently sell. And that offering is called Simplicity. What it is, and the reason I'm telling you about this is because Simplicity is a 10-week business accelerator that's designed for businesses that would traditionally never make it into an accelerator program. When we normally think of accelerator programs or incubation programs, typically those businesses are trying to grow very large they are likely going to give away a portion of their business for funding for you know equity of their business to receive cash from an investor so that they can scale their business mm-hmm. faster or 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 bigger um And the majority of business owners that I work with aren't those types of businesses. The majority of business owners that I support are just people like me and you who are trying to make a living doing what we love without giving up everything else that's important to us. So I designed a 10-week business accelerator for business owners like you um, who want to get focused, get confident, and get customers so that they can start making a living doing what they love. Um, Mm-hmm. While, while we're recording this, this is, there's a special introductory price, um, but when it goes live in January, the price will be $7.98 US dollars. Um, so you can read all about that on www.stepandstone.co.uk forward slash simplicity. Um, we can share the link with all of you who are listening. But the program is really designed, as I said, to help you get focused, get confident, and get customers. And it is covering six different training modules to teach you the essential business skills that you need to really run your business seriously. And then in addition, there's 10 coaching sessions, business coaching sessions with me so that you have someone by your side to really help you to get clear on what's missing in your business, to take action, and to start to see the results um, that you're looking for. Yes, we will uh, add the links, as you said. And and as we are approaching the end there now, where else do we find you? Like uh, we, you have mentioned a webpage, but Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, or yes. other places? Okay. 
So the place that you can find me the most active is on Instagram at underscore step and stone. That's where you see me sharing um, behind the scenes. You see me sharing um, inspirational stories and just my general Instagram posts of um, resources and support for business owners. Then on my website, which is stepandstone.co.uk, I have loads and loads and loads of resources for business owners. Um, You can find hundreds of articles to support you in getting focused, getting confident and getting customers. You can find resources to help you with time management and finances and storytelling and more. So do check out um, that site. You can get onto my newsletter and get access to all of my free resources in one place. And every time I create something new, you get access to that too. So um, that's stepandstone.co.uk forward slash resources. Yes, it is a great site. Uh, I use it a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I mentioned, your newsletter, I recommend that to everybody. Uh, So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. How will you you spend your holiday? I guess traveling is off limits. Yeah, traveling is off limits. But, you know, I actually never travel, or I shouldn't say never, but I don't travel very often on Christmas. Um, Since I left the the U.S. in 2005, I only went back for Christmas twice, and typically it would just do like a small affair at home. And um, I really like just doing Christmas like low-key. I'm thinking that we're just going to do a barbecue in the garden. Um, yeah, but we'll see. I just had a trip. So I think that I'll probably be in Nairobi. It's summertime here. So the sky is blue, the sun is shining and the weather is perfect. Um, so yeah, I think a socially distanced barbecue will be the way forward. (laughs) Yeah, It sounds so nice. And I I should have shown you, we're not, uh, like on video link today, but I should have shown you the weather here. You would feel a bit sorry for me, I think. (laughs) Probably, but probably. Uh, and I, I, I actually I went to to Kenya as a child, so I oh. I kind of can sense some of the the feeling and the warmth that when you describe it, I yeah, it sounds very very nice. So yeah, I would like to go yeah. back there. It's a it's a great well, country. welcome anytime. Let me know and I can show you around and we can meet yeah. up and that would be amazing. <laughs> would once be great. once the world reopens a little bit. Yes, exactly. Uh, Well, have a great holiday and all the best for 2021. Same to you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you so much to Danielle, first guest of 2021. I will share the links and resources in the show notes. Ah, and finally, I could use the word show notes. I never figured out a good word to use in Norwegian. I think that this episode represented very well a kind of story I would like to share. How Danielle is working with people from all corners of the world, helping them to figure out how they can combine making a difference with doing something they enjoy and at the same time actually be able to make money doing it. This was my first long episode in English as well. I don't think it went too bad. What do you think? If you liked it and if you want to listen to more of my conversations with inspiring people from near and far, I really hope you will subscribe. And I also hope you will share the episode with other people. Finally, not only the ones understanding Norwegian. Now, I just want to wish you a great start to the new year, wherever you are. Talk to you soon.